I appreciated the, the offertory this morning and how the, the transition, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I like having the words up here. It helps me to be able to really think more about what the message is as opposed to just hearing good piano playing. And uh, if you notice with those songs, that, met, that medley that was, that was played, it started out with Jesus' love for us and what he did for us. And that's exactly what we've been going through these last number of months and what we're still going to be going through for a little while. But I like the fact that that medley, what it did is it transitioned. And it went because of his love for us, because of what he has done for us, because of this price that we're looking at right now that he paid for us, the only logical thing we can do is to love him back. That should be our desire. That should be why we are here this morning, because we love our Lord. Now, if you're like me, very often, a lot of the reason that we end up being here on some Sunday mornings is we know this is where we're supposed to be. We know this is a good thing to do. It's the traditional thing to do. It's where we should be. And that, that kind of can be our main motivating factor for, for coming together to worship with God's people is well, it's just what I'm supposed to do. That's not, that should not be our key motive. It is what we're supposed to do. It, it, it should, there should be a, a, a sense of duty. But we should be here because we love our Lord. And we want to worship our Lord. And we want to get together with other people who are worshiping our Lord. That should be our, our passion. And that's what that song was pushing. And I really appreciated that. What we've been looking at these last few weeks, really what we hit on last week, we saw that Pilate, the governor of that area, he has determined already, Jesus is innocent. Period. Jesus is innocent. There is zero cause of guilt. There's zero cause of death. There should, none of this should be happening. And Pilate has asserted that. He has said, I find no guilt in this man. Now Pilate, we saw that he hates the Jewish people. He's there as the governor of that area representing Rome because that's where he's going to sign. But he hates these people. And he especially hates their leadership. The Pharisees, the Sadducees. He doesn't like these people. And, and he's really nervous of them because they've already proven that if he does something they don't like, they're going to go tattle to Rome and try their best to get him in trouble. And it's worked so far. Pilate does not like these Jews. They've been a thorn in his side. And now they're coming at him again. And what they're wanting Jesus, what they're wanting Pilate to do is to, through their manipulation and their intimidation, they want Pilate to rubber stamp what they've done. They have already, they've tried Jesus. They have found in their court, so to speak, they've found Jesus guilty. They've beaten Jesus. And they want Pilate simply to say, okay, do what you want. I'll let you put him to death. That's what they're looking for. And Pilate, Pilate is in a really tough spot because he knows that Jesus is innocent. He knows he shouldn't do what they're wanting, but from all appearances, Pilate is a coward. 
He's scared to death of what these people that are under him are going to do. So instead of being firm and being and, and using the authority that he has and saying this guy is innocent, I'm going to turn him loose, rather than doing the right thing, Pilate instead starts looking for loopholes. And he wants to pass the buck to somebody else so that he's not the one that gets the the black eye with it. He's just trying to to push his way through this so he can come out unscathed. And that's the scenario that we're starting today. Now this passage that we're going to look at is a long passage. If you're looking at your handout, you notice that it's front and back. There's a lot there. This is going to take us three, four weeks to go through. So hold on to your handouts, but uh, this, this is a long section of Scripture. We looked last week at the first Roman trial. This section of Scripture is the last two Roman trials. They're going to lead us up to the crucifixion. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll look at our text. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for the love that we saw in Jesus, or just with just with him being willing to die on this cross and take the abuse that he did. God, would you help us to have a passion for you? Lord, where that's weak and where we're we're pulling away from you, would you convict us and impress on us the need to be serious-minded about you? Lord, help us this morning. As we look into your word, would you please Block out distractions. Block out the cares of this world that are weighing on us. Help us to focus on you. Lord, I pray that as a result of our time here, each one would be drawn closer to you and have more of a passion for you. Lord, please help me as I preach. Keep me free from error. Help my words not to detract from the message that you desire to have preached. Just thank you, Lord, for all you've done. In some way, would you please glorify yourself today in Jesus' name. Okay, we are going to be mostly in the book of Luke today, so we wouldn't turn to Luke 23, a passage that Al had read for us. Luke 23, starting with verse 6. Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that records this incident for us as part of the trial, so this, um, this section of scripture is going to be our first point. But what I want us to remember as we start through these verses is really who it is we're dealing with. This passage, what's going to happen is Pilate, as I said earlier, he's trying to pass the buck, and he is going to send Jesus to Herod Antipas. So who is this Herod Antipas? We've heard of him. He's in the scriptures. There's multiple Herods that are mentioned in our New Testament. And this Herod Antipas, his father was Herod the Great. That's the one that uh, wanted to kill baby Jesus when he was born. He's the one that killed all these Jewish boys under the age of two. And in reality, the the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Herod Antipas was not something way different, way better than his father. There there were problems. And what we saw with uh, Herod the Great... When Herod the Great was older and he knew he was going to be losing his kingdom, he went to Rome and he said, I want to divide my kingdom area up between four of my sons. 
And Caesar said, okie dokie. That's how they talked back then. They, uh, some of you got that. That's okay. Um, he, he wanted to divide it up. And Herod said, I mean, Caesar said, that's fine. And Herod Antipas ended up getting Galilee. Now, that's, the, that's the area that Jesus was born in, when G, or was raised in. When Herod Antipas was given this area to come and rule, there had just been a, a rebellion. And a lot of the area was torn apart. So when Herod Antipas took over, he immediately inherited a building project. And they had to repair a lot of things. Herod Antipas did a lot of building. And he was, he was good at it. And he ended up uh, taking over the, this one section in Galilee and building that. Well, while he was in, this, in his building phases, one of the areas he built was called Tiberias. Tiberius was the capital of that area. This was a huge city. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, if this is so huge, and it's right there in Galilee where Jesus did most of his work, why don't we hear about it? Why don't we know anything about this from Scripture? Well, when they were building, they were excavating, they were digging out, setting the foundations, and as they were digging, some of the Jewish workers found bones. Well, if you find bones, what are you digging in? In the graveyard. You're in a cemetery. Well, guess what? The Jews don't, they didn't care for that too much. That's a, that's a sacrilege thing for them. It was unclean. They could have nothing to do with being in an area where, where they would be living on top of bones. That was, that was bad for them. It ended up being so bad that Herod was offering free houses, free land, no taxes for any Jew that would come and live in the city that he had just built. None of them wanted anything to do with it. You notice as we go through the Scriptures, you never hear of Jesus visiting this town. And this was the capital of that area. And there's no indication that Jesus ever went there. Now one of the sections of Herod's life that we know about from Scripture very clearly, Herod was a married man. He had married, there was an arranged, not arranged, it, it was a marriage of two kingdoms to make peace with the kingdoms. And Herod, after he was married, went and visited his half-brother Philip. And as he was there, he fell in love with his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. Now, just think of the name. Herod Herodias. I should tell you something. Both Herod and his new girlfriend decided that it would be a good thing for them to divorce their spouses and to get married to each other, and they did. And one of the problems with that marriage is that Herod, both Herod and Philip were related to Herodias. She was their niece. It was their brother or sister's daughter. So they're related to her. She is their niece. So as she comes back, with Herod, John, somehow or another, got into this mix and he, he reprimanded Herod. And he said, this marriage is not lawful. You should not be married to this woman. And that was on multiple accounts. There were problems with this marriage. And so Herod decided to put John in prison. Matthew tells us he wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. We knew, we see all this. So what happens? Herodias gets mad. Herodias decides the best thing to do is have John killed. So here's what she does. And we, we know this account. What she did was 
she had her daughter, just think of that, just that very point, her own daughter. She said, okay, sweetheart, precious, I want you to go and dance in a very seductive way to your stepfather. I want you to get your stepfather all worked up so he'll give you what you want. This is what this mother did for her daughter. She had her dance this way in front of her stepfather. And then, obviously, you know the rest of the story. Had John beheaded, brought the head to her mother. This whole story is is perverted. It's sick. This is Herod. This is the guy that we're dealing with. And Herod was scared at this point. He is afraid, when he starts hearing of Jesus, he's afraid that this guy that he had killed, John, has reincarnated and he's come back in the person of Jesus. And then he wants to kill Jesus. Mark 14 tells us that he was afraid of him and wanted him dead. And Jesus wasn't really very concerned with it. So Herod now is back into our storyline. And Herod, what he's going to do here is he's the one that's going to question Jesus. And what we're going to see with Herod, he is still just as self-centered and perverted as he was from the beginning. Herod is a wicked man. And this is who our Lord has to go to next. And it is not a good meeting at all. So that gives you some of the background. So let's look at our first point. First thing we see here is Pilate's solution. Pilate's solution. Verse number 6. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at the time. So Pilate is totally convinced. Jesus is innocent. That's important. Jesus was totally innocent. And Pilate knows this. He wants him released, but he does not have enough backbone to stand up and say, he's innocent, I'm letting him go. Pilate is a coward. He's scared that the Jews might report him to Caesar again, and he's afraid that he'll risk his position as being governor of that area. Let's, Let's just say this real clear. Pilate was wrong. Pilate handled it wrong. I know uh, we said this last week, but Pilate had the opportunity. He saw what was right, and he had the chance to do what was right, and he blew it. He chose to to be more concerned about self-interest than he was about doing the right thing. My point is this. We have that same battle every day. We need to be extremely concerned as we know right and wrong, and and I'll say this nine times out of ten, we know right from wrong. We do not have the freedom normally to stand up and say, well, I, I didn't know. Don't be a hypocrite. We know right from wrong. If you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you've got God Himself pushing your buttons and warning you when you're doing something wrong. God's doing this. If you're not saved, well, okay, you've at least got something to hang your hat on for an excuse. But we know what's right. We know what's wrong. And when we do, don't follow Pilate's example. Do the right thing. Let the chips fall where they may, so to speak. We need to do what's right and trust God to work out the details. Back to our account. Pilate heard that Herod, that this man was in Herod's 
jurisdiction. So he wants to pass the buck. Now in that day, that was allowed. If you commit a capital crime, you could be tried either where you did the crime, or they could send you back to your residence or your birthplace. They can put you where they want to put you. And that's totally legal to do this. But Pilate is using this as a scapegoat. He wants Jesus, he wants to wash his hands of Jesus. He says, get rid of him and let Herod deal with the problems with these pesky Jews. So that's Pilate's solution to this whole problem. Second thing, Herod's selfishness. Look in verse 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. Now just keep that in your mind for a moment. Think about things that make you happy. Herod all of a sudden sees Jesus and he gets happy. He's exceeding glad. For he was desirous to see him of a long season. He wanted to see him a long time because he heard many things of him and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. So Herod, he started off being afraid of Jesus. Then he wanted to kill Jesus. And now it says he's exceeding glad. He's happy to see Jesus. Now just think about what he saw when Jesus walked into that room. Jesus has already been tried by the Jews. He has been beaten. His face is probably swollen and bruised. You don't slap somebody multiple times in the face without drawing some blood. He's got blood on him. Jesus is a mess. Jesus is standing before him as a convicted man that people want to have put to death. And Pilate's happy. Pilate is glad to see him and it has nothing to do with wanting to hear his case. It has nothing to do with wanting to hear the truth that Jesus is proclaiming. Herod is simply curious and he wants to see a miracle. He wants to see this miracle worker come and act like a sideshow to him. What Pilate is basically saying is this, entertain me. This guy's got mental issues. He is messed up. This is the guy that Jesus is going to stand before. But, but, but listen to me, okay? Does this not describe some people today? People today here, and this may be some of you in here, I don't know. People today are entertaining themselves right into hell. They don't care about the truth. Herod has the one who is truth standing before him. He doesn't care about that. He said, entertain me. Give me something just where I can have a good time. That's all I care about. And he's entertaining himself into hell. And people today in our culture, this is one of the main, my opinion, one of the main areas that the devil uses to keep people from wanting to follow Jesus. Entertain them. Just keep them so busy with everything else, with, with schools and with, with, with going to the movies and going to sports and going to everything else that they don't have time to think on what is truth. Who is Jesus? This is where Herod is. And quite honestly, the end result that Herod experienced is the same end result that people today are going to experience. They're going to experience, they're going to experience entertaining themselves into hell. And what happened with Herod is he went from being exceedingly glad to eternally sad. He was in a bad condition and he didn't even know it. So look at the, look at the next thing, the sinful treatment. The sinful treatment. Verse number 9. 
Then he questioned him. Then Herod questioned Jesus in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priest and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Now these these verses show us one of the two things that Herod's trial is best known for. And and here's the thing. It's it's a legal term. It's just like someone questioning someone in a courtroom. He's got him on trial and he's trying to find out this information. And the, the wording here is he questioned him repeatedly and then it reemphasizes he repeatedly questioned him with many words. Herod was asking him question after question after question. I hit that too hard. He's asking him too many. He's asking tons of questions, trying to get to the bottom of this thing. And so while he's asking these questions, Jesus isn't saying anything. So it's like he's saying, "Okay, what is it they're accusing you of?" Jesus stays quiet. So here come the Jews. Here's what he did. He, 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 he's, he's refusing to get taxes. He's doing this against Caesar. And Pilate, I mean, Herod asked him another question. Here come the Jews again. They're getting this vehemently. They're getting angry with Jesus. And Jesus isn't saying anything. Pilate is asking him repeated questions, and the Jews are the ones giving the answers and the charges. It's interesting that the Jews are there in the first place. Do you remember when the Jews when they went to Pilate, and Pilate had to come out because they wouldn't go into Her- they wouldn't go into Pilate because he was a Gentile, and they didn't want to be unclean. But they marched right along with these guards, and they go right into Herod's temple. They went right into his palace. Now maybe their reasoning is, you know, Herod was half Jew. He was definitely no practicing. He wasn't practicing Judaism, but there was Jewish blood in him. So maybe they. That's, Maybe that's how they rationalize. We can go into this one now. They're hypocrites. They're total hypocrites. This is a picture of the Jewish people. But notice this. Jesus is silent during this whole fiasco. He doesn't say one word. And I I like that phrase we use today. He's calm, cool, and collected. Jesus wasn't sweating this. He was calm, and he let Herod ask his questions, he let the Jews accuse him. And some people have, have asked, you know, why is it that, why, why would Jesus not give the truth to Herod? He, Herod is asking him questions. He's got an open ground to give him the gospel. He's got open territory right there. He can say anything he wants, and he chose to remain silent. He didn't say a word of the gospel. Can I suggest to you Herod had heard the truth before. Herod had John the Baptist tell him, these are some things you need to shore up. This is the truth. And Herod denied it. See, here was the problem. Herod did not need more truth. Herod needed to act on the truth that he already knew. That's where we are. I've, had, I've listened to people so many times who, oh, I just need to learn more. I just need to know more truth. Listen, we don't need... Learning more truth is good. And I'm not arguing learning more truth or I wouldn't stand up here and do this every week. But more truth is what, not what we really need. We just need to do what we already know is right to do. Act on what you know. Practice what you know. That is exactly what Herod needed that day. And that's what people need today. Now, back to, our, back to the account here. 
So it's like Herod is saying, he's asking questions. Jesus isn't answering. The Jews come up. They're condemning him. They're telling lies. They're trying to get him convinced. And, and for us, we could look at it this way. The world doesn't need a reason to be mad with Jesus. They really don't. It's just there. It's because of who he is. It's because of this offer that he makes. And as he makes an offer of salvation, there's an automatic accusation with that. If he's saying you need to be saved, that means you're lost and you're a sinner. You can't do a thing to help yourself. And you're going to go to hell without Jesus. People don't like hearing this. Well, they're mad at Jesus. They hate him. They hate the truth he brings. And, and really, it kind of carries over to his followers. Did Jesus not say, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. This is normal. Don't be surprised when all this happens. But look back at verse 11. At verse 11, Herod set his men of war. Here's his soldiers. With his men of war, he set Jesus at naught. I remember reading that in the past. and back, It's been a long time, but I remember reading it and thinking, he, he put him out. He set him out by himself. That's not set him at naught. Set him at naught. What that phrase means is that, that Herod, when he set him at naught, he treated him with contempt. He treated Jesus really bad. He despised Jesus. That's this set him at naught. And that's the, we, we see this being prophesied. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected of men. That's what they did to Jesus. They hated him. And Jesus, he said absolutely nothing. And yet they're hating him. And it says they mocked him. They mocked his claim as king of the Jews. And we're going to hit on that one some more. But how did they mock him? They put a robe on him. Can you picture the scenario? Let's put a robe on this man. Oh, hell, king of the Jews. And, just <laughs> and they laugh at him. No different than saying, you're such an idiot. You have no clue what you're doing. And they're, they're, they're despising Jesus. They didn't have any clue that their Creator was standing in front of them. They had no clue that the, their King's King was standing in front of them. The One who is the God of the universe was the One they were shaming. This is the shameful thing they're doing. And notice Jesus doesn't retaliate. He doesn't do a single thing to defend himself. Hear me. One day, he's going to retaliate. One day, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to come with a sword. One day, Jesus is going to, to get the vengeance that, in my mind, I see them doing this and I want him to take vengeance right then. I want him to defend himself. One day, he's coming back. People back then, they mocked him at his first coming. Today, we have people mocking him when they talk about his second coming. One day, they're not going to mock anymore. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And how do people mock him today? You think about it. Have you heard people say things like this? If Jesus is really in control, if Jesus is really Lord, why do all these things happen? Why does all this bad stuff happen? Why is all this crime? Why all this mess that we're in? Somebody sent me a post, and I, and 
I'm not saying this is how God thinks, but it was applicable. Somebody was asking, why do all these bad things happen? And it was, I believe it was in context of one of the church shootings or one of the school shootings or something like that. But why does God allow all of this evil in the world? And we see a lot of it. And then in the post it mentioned, well, we told God we don't want you in our government. We don't want you in our schools. We don't want you in our public sector. We, do, we just don't want you, because you're offensive, being here with us. So it's like God maybe stepped back and said, okay, here's what it's like without me. You get an idea of what life is like with me not there. And here's a picture of it. This is a little taste. Because ultimately, ultimately, that's really what hell is. Hell is the absence of God. And that's going to be the worst punishment that an unsaved person could ever receive, is to have the absence of God in their lives. It's just being without Him. You look in our country today, sometimes even in our churches, we have got the written Word of God so freely given to us. We have this book, we have the truth of this book available. And some people are foolish enough to still mock God. They're still willing, even though we have all of this truth, they're willing to push Him aside and not want this truth. Let me just encourage you, don't let that be you. Don't be somebody that mocks God. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, do you realize that to reject Jesus is the ultimate mockery? Here's what we're saying. When someone has not received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we're saying, okay, I understand what you did. I understand, you know, we're looking at this punishment you went through. I understand you went to a cross. I understand you separated yourself from your father. I understand there was a high price to pay, but I'll take care of this on my own. I can handle this. That's mockery. To say that Jesus had to go through all of this and I can take care of this on my own. That is the ultimate mockery. And for Christians, do you realize we can mock God as well? Think about this a moment. Jesus, I appreciate the fact that you died for me. I appreciate that you have given me salvation, but I'm going to do things my way. This is my life, and I'll live it how I want. That's mockery. Do you understand this, that, that for you and I to not be mocking our Lord, we need to be willing to follow Him. We need to be willing to understand, you did all of this for me. I need to be grateful to you and live for you. I need to follow you. Otherwise, we as Christians are mocking our Lord. Let's not be guilty of this sin. Last thing we see, the differences are settled. The differences are settled. Last thing on this point. Verse number 12, And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. Now we're not told, we're not sure why they weren't on speaking terms. Historians tell us that there was a point where Pilate had some shields made 
And on those shields, he put Tiberius on them. That's Caesar. And the, the Romans considered that to be one of their gods. So when the Jews saw these shields that are made, what the Jews said was, you know, this is heresy. This is, an, this is apostate. We can't have this. They don't want this kind of thing. Well, what Herod had done was he had these shields made, and he sent them to Herod's house. And he commanded Herod, because Herod was under him, he commanded Herod to hang those shields in his home. Well, Herod was mad because he knew if I hang these things up, I have the Jews who are going to be mad at me and then I'm going to have to have all this kickback going against me. So what Herod does is he called, called, can you pick up the phone? He called Caesar. He sent a message to Caesar and he said, this shouldn't be. I can't have these. He's messing up my ability to rule these Jews and to have them under control. And Caesar sent a message back and he fussed at Pilate. And he said, you get those shields out of his house and don't do something like this again. Well, Herod's mad. You got Herod mad because he put the shields in. Now you got Pilate mad because Herod went over his head and got his boss mad at Pilate. So these two were mad at each other. It could have been that that was the incident that had got them on non-speaking terms. But here's what's sad. What got these two men back together was the, the hatred of Jesus. That's what cemented these men's friendship. I heard a quote a while back, and you know this phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Isn't that what happened here? You had two people against Jesus. And so since two people are against him, hey, you'll be my friend. Isn't that what we saw with the Herodians? The Herodians were a group of people who they, they, they loved the Herodian dynasty. They wanted Rome there. The Pharisees weren't that way. The Pharisees were your zealots. They wanted Rome kicked out. And those two joined forces to fight Jesus. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. What these two rulers are doing is exactly what the Jews did against Jesus in Matthew 22. This section of Scripture shows us one major thing. It shows you several things, but one of the things it shows clearly is this. Jesus is innocent. Jesus is totally innocent. These two men, Pilate and Herod, they're both outsiders, and both of them are finding the same thing. No guilt in this guy. One is indifferent about Jesus, one hates Jesus, and they both find him innocent. Jesus is totally innocent. And this fulfills Scripture. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And here's the, here's the phrase. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. That's exactly what happened in this passage. The Gentiles, they took counsel together against the Lord. And Jesus, all through this, remained silent. Jesus never defends himself. He subjects himself to this mockery. He subjects himself to the beatings, to the mistreatments, all because of his love for his Father and his love for you and me. Jesus endured all of this for us. How, how can we 
not be grateful for what our Lord went through for us? How can we not have this, this passion to want to serve Him? Too often we think of gratefulness. You know, gratefulness is not us saying, thanks God, that was nice of you to do that. I appreciate it. Thanks for getting me out of hell. That's not gratefulness. Gratefulness is, thank you for what you've done. I want to give my life back to you. I want to, I want to repay you in some way. I want to live for you. I want to follow you. That's gratefulness. Gratefulness says, I owe you. I owe you everything. And I'm going to live for you. That's what grateful people do. That's what we need to do. Last point here, point two, we'll end with this one. Pilate's alternative is introduced. Mark is the one who gives us this account. Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, we'll start with verse 6. Scripture says, Now at the feast, at that feast, he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas. Uh, Matthew adds, he was a notable prisoner. We'd use the word today, he was notorious. This guy was bad news. He, and there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. Well, Pilate is stuck with this problem again. Herod sends Jesus back. Pilate's in the, Pilate is again in the middle of it. And what these few verses that I just read for you, what they do is give us background. This really is it's showing us here's the background, here's the custom, here's the situation that's happening, and it gets us into this frame of mind for what's coming up next. What the, what the Romans would do to appease the people. They wanted to keep peace, so once a year they would release one prisoner. This is not a big deal for Rome. Rome killed thousands upon thousands of Jews. They would crucify Jews freely. It was no skin off their back. They, they probably enjoyed it to some point, the ones doing it. But this is what would happen. At one point, at that feast, they said, okay, we're going to release one person to you. Whoever you want, we'll release him. And it introduces us to this man, Barabbas. That word Barabbas, it means son, son of a father. It's a strange name. But he's son of a father. And this guy, as I said, he was really bad. Now, some people have speculated. It says that he was bound with them that had made insurrection and had killed them. Some have speculated that there was to be a crucifixion. It was going to involve three people. It was Barabbas and his two friends. And what happened is Jesus literally died in his place. That's one of the theories. I can't confirm that, but I tell you this, Jesus did die in his place. One way or another, Jesus died in his place. Whether he ever accepted that or not, we don't know. But this, this scripture is telling us that these crowds, these common people, they started to demand their rights. They wanted Pilate, give us what we want. Release unto us this one of these people and here's what this shows us. One of the things, Isaiah 53, 12. Jesus was numbered among the transgressors. 
he got put into the same mix, in with these people who, who in reality, they deserve to die. Jesus was in this mix. Isn't it, to me, this is exciting that, that God is in total control. God is able to work through my choices, even when they're foolish choices. God is able to work with good or bad decisions that I make. God is able to work with my desires. God is able to work with my sin in a sinless way to get things to work together so that it's happening the way He wants it to happen. We've got a powerful God. God was using this sinful thing, these simple things that were happening to further His causes. That's, what our, that's how powerful our God is. How can we step back and say, I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to follow you. You're not good enough. Our God is an all-powerful, all-sufficient God. And that should cause us to worship Him more. So here's what we've seen in these passages today. You and I should determine in our own hearts today not to live like these Roman leaders did. You and I, these guys rejected Jesus. These guys made a mockery of Jesus. And hear me, mocking Jesus has eternal consequences for people. We need to be careful that we are not mocking the one who can save our souls. And Christians, if we're mocking him, it is going to destroy your fellowship with him. It is going to destroy your joy that He desires you to have in a relationship with Him. Never should we be guilty of mocking our Lord. We also see that no matter what we go through, no matter what we allow, no matter what happens in our lives, our Lord is not limited. Our Lord has the ability to perform His will and His desires no matter what comes down our path. We can trust Him. He is worthy to be trusted because He's an all-powerful God. You and I should commit our lives to Him anew because of that. He's worthy. Let's stand. If you're here this morning and you've never become a follower of Jesus, Jesus is the answer to your sin problem. He's the only answer to your sin problem. Don't be like Pilate and like Herod who ignored Jesus and who mocked Jesus. Jesus is your only hope. And you need Him. And I'd love nothing more than to introduce you to Him through His Word this morning. That's what you need. If we can help you, Please let us do that. Seek, come forward during the invitation. Meet me in the back. But don't leave here without making sure of your salvation today. Christian, let's not be guilty of mocking Jesus by living a life that does nothing but gratifies our flesh and doesn't show gratitude to the Lord. Our Lord made a lot of sacrifice for us. He made the ultimate sacrifice. And we owe Him everything. He is worthy to be followed. Can I encourage you? Just do the right thing. Make your next decision a right one. 
follow it. The rest of it will fall into place. Make your next decision in life. You do business with God as He directs.